welcome to episode 166 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 28th of February, 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Fainim. How's it going? Graham. Hello, everyone. And Will. Good evening. So here we are. We're going to pretend to ignore everything that's going on in the world and uh, talk about Linux stuff. Let's start with some excellent news. It is 10 years to the day, or is that tomorrow? That's debatable, since the Raspberry Pi was launched. Yay. And here we are, 46 million units later. Yeah, this is really great news, a really brilliant story. And also one I think many of us not kind of anticipated, but we were excited even by the prototype stage of the Raspberry Pi because it just fitted into that niche that we all wanted to play with and could see a use for even if it wasn't like practical never i mean wasn't the initial uh, run going to be something like ten thousand? you know and it's incredible it's got to this stage and it's now an institution i think it was a really good example of the right product at the right time um people were excited about arduino people were getting into linux through things like ubuntu and then this product landed which gave them a, a sort of crossover between the two and people got very excited about it. A real computer that you can do real computer stuff on really cheaply. Um, and you could just plug it into your TV and you'd be away. It was uh, a lot of fun. I've still got some of my original first generation ones still working. Getting hold of large, uh, what do you call them? Large SD cards is quite tricky, but um, the thing's still working. Yeah, you can always just buy a micro SD card and an adapter. They usually come with one, don't they? That's how I do it with mine. I've got the very, well, not quite the very original one, but the one with 256, or is it 128? The one with the the, the minimal uh, amount of RAM anyway. And what's amazing is that you can take a Raspberry Pi OS SD card, put it in that very first one, and then put it in a 4 or a 400, and it'll just boot, no matter which Pi you're using. And I was thinking about this today, and there have been times when I've given them a bit of shit about the OS and, you know, some security decisions and stuff and continuing to use LXDE and and whatnot. But fair play to them, the fact that you can do that. You can run the OS on the very first one all the way through up to the latest one. That's better than a lot of uh, hardware manufacturers will do in terms of software support. I wonder if we'd still have a chip shortage, though, if all the ones that are in drawers weren't. <laughs> yeah, maybe we could recycle all the ones that are in drawers. Well, I, I I counted mine up. I'm actually using six all the time, and I have two that I'm not using anything at the moment, but like one of them does that guitar thing, and then the other one is going to go off to be an off-site backup server because the, the VMs aren't reliable on the machine that they're running on right now. So I was going to just use a Pi for it. Um, but that's that's six. Like, and they say that they've got they're doing like half a million pies per month realistically, and there's about one to two million backlog of real customers. Like, it's insane. I mean, never really talk about it, but this is Linux. It's all of those people using Linux who might never have done so. I remember um, in 2012, I was I was the editor of Linux Format then, and we we were really quite lucky in that we done the cover feature on uh, the Raspberry Pi and it came out just a day or two after the announcement. Um, and it was the only issue to ever sell out. And these are non-Linux people, I'm assuming, people who had just heard about it on the BBC or whatever and had gone out and bought a magazine with it on the cover. Um, and it must it's been doing that for those 10 years. There's an interesting, the cover of that issue had 
a real life-size version of the Raspberry Pi. And on the day that we were sending it to uh, the printers, you get a proof of the cover. And I thought, I'll tell you what, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get a ruler out and I'll, I'll measure the size of this Raspberry Pi. And it was about 60% smaller than the real thing. Oh, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to do a, a last-minute delay and get it all redone and resent. And then, uh, what, I don't know, five years after that, they were giving away a Raspberry Pi mm. on the front of a magazine. Yeah, if you could get one. Yeah. Yeah, the Pi Zero. I remember going to Big Asda to try and get one, and they were all sold out. <laughs> Big Asda. <laughs> yeah, they've really revolutionized the way that I think about computers. I, I mean, I, ha- I really have like three or four running in the house all the time doing various things like the, the Brew Pi and Home Assistant and the NAS and the um, home entertainment stuff. And it's just so convenient being able to do that and something more powerful than a microcontroller and something that isn't a PC. Yeah, and you don't have to feel bad for just leaving it running all the time in terms of energy use. Yeah, and, and I mean, I used to, one of those jobs used to be done by a Nook. So, you know, it's saving power. I also really like the way they've kept to the GPIO form factor. Um, they've really understood right from the very beginning that they just need to standardize and everything that's standardized on their well, on Raspberry Pi OS and Raspbian in the beginning, and also the the form factor, you can almost rely on fitting everything else. Um, and even though they still manage to iterate on the platform and its capabilities, I mean, the Raspberry Pi 4 is amazing in terms of what you can do with it. And you can still do all the old projects and everything that's been done with it for so long. Yeah, I think it, I think it's a great project. It's a real, it's a really good news story um, and something to celebrate. The upcoming Android 13 is going to have proper virtualization, proper KVM, and people have already got Windows 11 ARM running on it, and inevitably Doom as well. This seems quite interesting. So Fuchsia's been killed when? (laughs) But realistically, if they're going to, they seem to be looking at setting up a hypervisor where they run the OS in one and then various things in others. What does that actually mean for Fuchsia? I mean, it seems like... Is this a nail in it somewhere? I don't know. Because they're going to use KVM and they're going to use the Chrome OS uh, Virtual Machine Manager, Cross VM or whatever it's called. Cross VM. Uh, yeah, anyway, they're going to use that to, to control the the virtual machine. So, yeah, I don't know. What's it going to do? Well, this is just an interim step. It's all about security, isn't it? It's so they can run just the certain bits that they need, the key security bits, in a VM and people running Windows 11 and all that sort of stuff. That's just people taking advantage of the technology. I'm really excited about it. I mean, I know I've, I've only read the Ars Technica article, but we talked about Termux a few episodes ago and getting desktop Linux sessions running. It'd be really, really nice to have a VM of your distro of choice running on your Android machine that maybe you could just connect your phone up to the keyboard and screen and then be able to carry on like that and also have basically local root access within that VM so that it's entirely transparent. It's running on an Android device, especially with them becoming so powerful and so so much RAM and storage. I, I think if it's accessible in that way, in the same way perhaps WSL has become so successful for Windows, it'll be brilliant. Seems like Ubuntu for Android was was a few years ahead of its time then. Yeah, yeah. As for the future thing, Fairlim, you seem to not understand how Google works. It's not that one team will plow ahead and make something great and therefore Fuchsia is obsolete. They they just have competing teams that don't talk to each other. And it's a huge hedge, isn't it? It's 
they'll just see which one comes out the best and then just abandon the other one. Yeah, um, but I mean, I guess the fact that Android has lasted so long and wasn't designed in Google originally anyway, so it's probably some sort of magic child in there. So uh, I I don't know. All their new projects seem to last a couple of years and die like Stadia and that giant page full of all the other ones. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think Fuchsia's dead already. Also, I I want Fuchsia to be dead already, but that's just me being spiteful. Hmm. Well, I know you do because you won't accept the reality that it's going to take over Linux in the next sort of 20 years. Oh, yeah, totally. It sure is. It's a great name too. Yeah, it's the Fuchsia. Mm. Right, well, we don't have a soundboard on this show. Occasionally, we get you to play the synth, Graham, but unfortunately, you're away at the moment, so uh, you don't have access to it. So we can't play a big hype alarm, but we would otherwise just pretend, dear listener, that you're hearing it. (laughs) Yeah, it's Steam Deck Hype Alert. (laughs) So we've got the reviews now, the full reviews of the units that are almost what people are going to be getting shortly in the first batch and it's kind of a mixed bag of reviews i think ultimately the reviews are very positive though i think so i think expectations are really high i mean it's not that expensive this device it's obviously got the performance people complaining about the fan noise and also this steam os 3 maturity um, which i think we all kind of expected and of course games compatibility but there are hundreds of games that work perfectly fine, but of course the Steam library is tens of thousands of games wide, so there's always going to be games that don't work. But otherwise, I feel I feel just as excited about it. That fan noise, though, I think that might be a problem. Although, if you're wearing headphones, then not. But it's not going to be very nice for people around you if you're just playing it with your headphones on and it's just blaring this horrible, whining fan noise. I just, I can see that being an issue. And because it's so small, it's not like, oh, well, we can just adjust the curves or whatever. It's got to kick out a lot of heat. It's got to work hard and it has to be small. So it's going to just be loud and annoying. But from what I've read, the temperatures are relatively low um, and they can do things like PWM on the fans. And if that frequency is particularly bothersome for people, that can be adjusted without particularly affecting the efficiency of the flow. I'm, I'm hopeful that that can, the behavior of the fans could be modified. Um, and also this being a PC, you're kind of, and what I really liked and was surprised by was the amount of control that you've got over customizing the GPU speed, the CPU speed, the amount of watts the system gets. So you as a user, if you kind of would don't want the fan noise, you seem to have an awful lot of control. This being a PC to change the spec, change how much power draw it's using and the temperature of the device. So maybe you'll be able to make that compromise yourself if you're in a public space and you want the fan sound down. I worry that a lot of the power tweaks are just superficial. The reviews that I read said that the hardware felt really, really well made, that it felt nice in your hands, that it felt like a high quality piece of kit. But that the software was buggy, well, we, we can forgive them that. But that the battery life wasn't very good. And I can't really imagine getting more than a few hours out of something like that. Um, so I think that tweaking the GPU, turning down the screen brightness, you know, you might get yourself another 10 minutes or something like that. However, it still strikes me as being something which you could use instead of a PC. It is as powerful as an entry-level gaming PC. It costs about the same as an entry-level gaming PC. The middle of the range one is about 450 quid. So if you were to buy it as a 
replacement for a PC that you plugged in, kept connected to the power, to the big screen, to a keyboard and mouse, and you used it like that, and then occasionally you took it on the road, then I think that the two-hour battery life is perfectly acceptable. You realise you've just justified that argument for kids everywhere to badger their parents come this Christmas, right? I justified it for me to buy one, is what you mean. <laughs> yeah, it's quite exciting. You could, you know, plug it into a screen and a keyboard and actually have a proper Linux machine there to do all the other stuff you want to do on it. Full of similarly spec laptops with the same kind of GPU performance, it's cheap. Also, the SD card performance seems to be really good. So even on the cheaper version with the 64 gig of internal storage, it seems that that won't be too um, prohibitive, even though you can change it. The thing that slightly worries me, and I've not che- I'm not lucky enough to have um, access to one, is that some reviewers have mentioned the screen is a little bit lacking in contrast and color. And it would have been nice if they'd have been able to really put a high quality screen in there, but maybe that'll come with Steam Deck too. I can't imagine the current chip shortages helping that in any way. But mm. Yeah, it's interesting that Valve are not being coy about there being a Steam Deck 2. They've pretty much said that, yeah, there is going to be one, and it won't even be very long before we release it. I guess the advantage, the fact that the software can always be updated, and it's going to have a continuous supported life cycle. And I think that's a good thing, because it means it can only get better. And, the, and if you've got to get a standard hardware base it incentivizes them to keep making that better all the time. And, you know, Steam are pretty good with the updates. Every week there's at least one full Steam update for Proton and the like when you're running it on a, a Linux desktop. So, yeah, I, th- I think that they could be well on the way with a good product here. And it's been a hell of an engineering challenge, not just like the four years of whatever Proton development. I was also really intrigued that the Windows drivers aren't available yet. So if you, even if you did install Windows on it, you don't get the GPU acceleration or the, uh, the SOC stuff. Shame. I can't help but feel that was deliberate by Valve. They didn't want the reviewers to install Windows on it. And I think that they will have to release the Windows drivers immediately after consumers get them because there's going to be a hell of a lot of people who want to run Windows on it. Yeah, but only drivers of Windows 98. Let's do it the way that usual drivers that we get chucked over the wall are like. <laughs> yeah, I had the same thought. But also, it seems like they've really nailed the suspend and resume part, which is, I presume, going to be specific only to the Linux version where you can um, suspend a game and still get back to your Steam library. You're not just shutting down the machine. You can go and play another game, and then you can come back and continue that game. And eventually they promise that you'll be able to suspend a game and then resume it on another computer. What times we live. <laughs> yeah, that's the proper convergence dream, isn't it? <laughs> gaming convergence. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know that I quite like gaming, but I don't do it that much. And it's because it kind of requires you to sit down and have a kind of formal gaming session. And I can really see something like this working, especially if you happen to have a couple of these things in your family or one PC and a Steam Deck, and you can kind of make it more of a social thing. Well, yeah, I've already seen lots of reviewers saying that this means they can finally play those games that they just haven't had time to commit to because they can play on the bus or the toilet or whatever. <laughs> yeah, or watching MasterChef or whatever it is that people do. Yeah, while your significant others watching some rubbish on the telly, you can uh, sit and play your games, yeah, except for the fan noise. I think <laughs> that's going to be the problem there. I mean, thank God that we're able to irradiate ourselves with even more computers at more <laughs> improbable locations. Can you imagine the, the standard of hygiene on that thing after about a week's use? 
<laughs> just keep it in the toilet. You have to buy two. That's clearly why they're doing that resume feature, so one can be actually physically <laughs> mounted in the jacks, and then the other one is safely somewhere clean. Well, I remain hopeful that at least some people won't replace the operating system and some people will use Linux, but I'm skeptical that many people will. But you never know. Because the whole thing about it is that it's totally customizable. It's it's like the anti-switch, isn't it? Like the Nintendo Switch is just this appliance. And yeah, if you really want, there are ways to hack it, especially the early ones that had the vulnerability and you know, you could jailbreak them and all the rest of it. But the point of that is that it is just a console. Whereas the deck is a console form factor, but all the buttons and triggers and everything you can configure however you want in each game and everything and it's it's aimed at gaming tinkerers pc gamers and i just can't see them sticking with linux somehow i think there were quite a few people who would install windows but i also think that the reason why they're announcing well the reason why they're acknowledging there's going to be a steam deck too i think is because it's true that the demand for this has been unprecedented for valve and i do think that will be a majority of people who maybe will stick with linux they're maybe not too bothered they want the steam deck experience as as valve is selling it um, as a console as an alternative to the switch as maybe they even use the switch and become frustrated that they can't play Fortnite on it properly when they can't play Fortnite on the Switch, on the Steam Deck. But I, I, I do think that if we're talking about hundreds of thousands or millions of devices, that's still going to be hundreds of thousands more people using Linux that wouldn't have otherwise done so. Uh, but are they real Linux users if they're just using it as an appliance? <laughs> yeah, they are. And it's KDE, so, I mean, they're even <laughs> yeah. better Linux yeah. users. Uh, hmm. I mean, there, I, I saw one person commenting on um, the software discovery app, which is the first time I've ever seen anyone kind of comment on that <laughs> in Plasma. Why? Why would you even bring that up? <laughs> well, there's stuff you can install for free. Where do you pay for it? Where do I have to create my account? Well, you don't have to. You can just download it. Although I did see people saying, oh, please come and get a flat pack of KDE Connect, <laughs> but just not really understanding how KDE Connect works and how putting it in a sandbox is just not going to work. Oh, and you can see the whole terrible future unrolling in front of us, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and more. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. You can go to latenightlinux.com slash support to find out more about it. And remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And that feed also includes Linux Downtime and Linux After Dark. 
And do check out Linux Downtime. Had a very interesting episode recently with Adam Pig, who has ported Sailfish OS to various phones. He's just a community member, nothing to do with Jolla or Yola, whatever they call it. But it's a really interesting alternative mobile OS. So do check that out. Link in the show notes. And if you want to get in contact, show at latenightlinux.com is the email address. Lenovo has announced the first ARM-based ThinkPad. This isn't strictly Linux news. Well, it's not Linux news at all, as far as I can see, because this thing's going to run Windows 11. But it is interesting that Lenovo are moving into the ARM space for their flagship laptops. And uh, does this mean that one of you got a prediction right? Yeah, well, nearly. I mean, it doesn't run Linux yet, but maybe it will do soon. Uh, But I think that this is the beginning. I think this is what I predicted for the last two years. So well done, Lenovo, for catching up. But I'm, I'm excited by this for a couple of reasons. One is that it's a ThinkPad, and historically ThinkPads have always run Linux very, very well because they've been on relatively standardized components. Um, and I think that um, Lenovo have done a decent job of making sure it does work. They seem to know their sort of core ThinkPad market and uh, and make sure that stuff works well on Linux. So I'm super hopeful that they will be supporting a, a Linux of some sort. I mean, ideally, they would sell it with Ubuntu on it, but some sort of Linux support would be good news. Uh, and the second thing that I'm very excited about is that I suspect that where Lenovo goes, others will follow, specifically Dell, and then we'll start seeing more and more ARM-based laptops over the next couple of years. Yeah, it'd be great to see an XPS 13 with a really powerful ARM SOC in it. The powerful ARM bit is a little bit disappointing. The specs that I've seen today um, from you, Joe, were a little bit disappointing. Like it was, what, less than half the power of the M1, maybe even a quarter of the power of the M1, which is a bit disappointing. But as long as it works, I can live with it. It is running Windows, though. So, I mean, we don't know how well Windows works on ARM, I guess. And that also brings up the other awful question of, is it going to be fully locked down bootloader-wise? Because Windows doesn't have to allow other operating systems to be running on that, which was the kind of ARM Windows nastiness that was kind of cropping up a few years ago. Yeah, that is a worry of mine. I worry that it's going to be very difficult. And we've seen with the M1 Max that, it's been a long road for the Asahi Linux folks, and we're getting close to an installer by the looks of things, so I'm really hopeful on that front. And just as they make the commit to that installer, Apple takes it away. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a prediction there. I want it to be right so much. <laughs> well, I'll still be able to sell my M1 Mac for probably what I paid for it, so I don't really care either way, to be honest. I mean, I, I really enjoyed running native Linux on my Mac for years, and I, we've we've got a long way. So today, for example, I've been using my M1 Pro Mac all day, probably ten hours screen time, with with VM software running Linux. And I came back up to the bedroom here. I was an eighty-one percent. I'd not plugged it in. Wow! <laughs> wow! <laughs> what sort of brightness have you got the screen on? I don't even notice. It, it's whatever it is at the moment. It's about it's dark in here, so it's at about third brightness. Right. But you were in well-lit rooms then? Yeah, in the day, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And also when I close the lid and then open the lid again, it, the Linux underneath it just carries on. <laughs> I don't like the sound of that at all. I like the misery. <laughs>
hopefully there'll be enough developer enthusiasm to get Linux running on these uh, ARM ThinkPads. Maybe, maybe Lenovo will do it themselves. We've seen them work with Fedora before. We've seen Linux versions of the ThinkPads, so it it seems unlikely to me, but uh, my fingers are firmly crossed on this one. That's the problem, though. Everyone's a different unit, isn't it? And everyone's yeah. a complete new starter project, almost. Yeah. We need standards. Yep. Let's do a quick KDE corner before we get out of here, then. And uh, they've been fixing things. They have been fixing a lot of things. Uh, there's been huge amounts of bug fixes going in over the last few weeks. And, yeah, the project of getting those top bugs down has hit 80 now, which, I mean, it's going. It's not lightning pace but there's a lot of work being done but also there's a whole lot of other bugs going in the dot releases of 524 so it's been really good to see all that continue on as usual there was one particularly special bug where it was first logged in february 2003 and it just got fixed on the 16th of february this year so uh, 19 years if my maths is correct uh, and so i mean in the next show we have a person write in about a bugs not getting fixed but i mean i think that's proof that they they keep going and maybe try to fix them eventually yeah eventually what are these kate improvements that are coming soon then yeah there's some nice new stuff for there's a new navigation address bar that you can click through it's kind of the way a lot of the breadcrumb based systems work where you can click in at any point and then pick extra options for various folders uh, that you're looking at and there's a, just a general improvement to the overall OS and a lot of the uh, later sort of versions where there's checks, plugins, you know, linting and all those types of things, trying to make the whole thing a bit more responsive to those. And there's loads more to come. Uh, they've got a, a huge amount of requests come into it. I think it's about 150 or so. Uh, so it's good to see that Kate keeps progressing. It's an excellent editor and mine of choice. I think it's quite telling that you referred to a text editor as an OS. Did I? You did. <laughs> Freudian <Yes>. slip there. <laughs> Too many features. It's not as bad as Emacs, come on. Yeah, or the bloody terminal console. Console's fine, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, it's fine if you love loads and loads of features. Yeah. I don't have any toolbars on mine. Mine looks very like the GNOME one, except it's actually useful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. I do the same, even get rid of the scroll bars. Can you do that on the GNOME one? Oh, I bet you can't. I bet there's no button. I bet if there's a button, it's been taken away as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> I just use XFCE4 terminal and it's fine. Anyway, what's SOK flat hubbing? There's various projects going on for the summer of KDE, which is a bit like the Google summer code and uh, some various projects going on. And one of these is to get many more KDE apps up into Flathub, which I guess is a good thing if you like Flathub. And I should start to like Flathub, I guess. Yeah, this is proof that it's not just a GNOME thing. Well, it is a GNOME thing, but it's <laughs> slowly been nudged away from that, maybe. Maybe. Okay, and it's normal and it works. Yes, if ever you wanted a selling point for a desktop environment, that is it. Uh, it's not special and a chosen one like GNOME thinks it is. It just goes out and does its job. It is the Land Rover defender of desktop environments. You didn't actually mention that this is from a comment on Pharonix originally. Oh, I didn't. That's right, actually. And uh, yeah, it was Nate who's obviously making the comment. I probably didn't even say that either. It's almost like I'm preoccupied with something. <laughs> <laughs> almost, yes. Right, well, we better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we'll be talking about our discoveries, finds of the Fortnite weekend week or whatever it is, and covering some of your feedback. 
But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.